Well, 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 if it isn't episode 305 of the Mind Body Musings podcast, welcome for the first time if you are new here and welcome back if you are a long time listener. Today's episode is a really, really special one. We are in for a treat to be hearing from this man, but more than that, it's a really sentimental episode. It is a pivotal episode and it is a marking it is a it is a flag, um, a beautiful flag, a uh, sovereign flag, one that is emotional and loving because this is my partner. Today we are bringing on my boyfriend and in the six plus years I have had this podcast, I have never brought on a lover or a boyfriend or a twin flame or a soulmate or anything of that nature ever. So the fact that I have claimed this person as my person and him claiming me and then also bringing him on the show and some other life updates I will give after I read his bio to you, um, it goes to show how incredibly beautiful this human is, that I want to share him with the whole world. I've I've been immensely blessed by his presence in my life, and I also want to share him. I want everyone else to be blessed by the presence of this man and to hear his story, what he's gone through, what he's overcome, and how he's using his pain in his life to fuel his passion and his purpose. We talk about this a lot. Turn your pain into your passion. Turn your mess into your message. And Mike Johnson is a beautiful example of a human doing exactly that. And he is also a beautiful example of a man that is clearly in touch with his feminine side and clearly in touch with his masculine side. He can hold the mess of other people while also feeling his feels very deeply and over the past year, I've had, if, you, if you've been listening to this show for a while, you know that I teach the feminine and masculine and having a polarized relationship. And some things have started to not sit right with me. One of them in particular being that whoever the man holds the masculine pole always and whoever is the feminine holds the, or who's the female holds the feminine pole always. Now, mostly when we're teaching the feminine masculine, we don't say that. The, the events that you go to that are around polarity, they don't say that. In fact, you'll usually always hear, and I will say this myself as well, that all individuals hold the feminine and the masculine. But yet, every time I've gone to polarity events, because it only is a weekend, they want to get the biggest bang of the buck out of the experience. And so they put the men always in the masculine for the entire weekend and then the female is always in the feminine for the entire weekend unless you're really adamant that you want to be in a different quote pole and that's been an issue for me for the past year and I, I this is a totally other episode that I will do at some point but I'm, I'm circling this back my relationship with Mike has been so beautifully embodying of both the energies you will hear as you listen to him that he is a soulful human who is very much in touch with water and lyrics and emotions and he holds that so beautifully for himself and for others as as we should as feminine beings as I do in my life and so in in beautiful ways this man has shown up to be so emotionally emotionally literate in my life and 
me also holding my own emotions and holding that masculine pole for him. So we've created such a beautiful harmony with each other of going in and out of the energy and the consciousness and the energy and the consciousness. And no, our relationship is not about this. We don't talk about the feminine masculine stuff. We talk about everything else, but that dynamic is constantly happening. So I just want to state that because at some point him and I will have a podcast about that. Uh, Our relationship is still pretty new um but that is a dynamic that has been something I have of course kept my eyes on because I've loved it and I've been fascinated by it and I want to share that with you so I'm putting this pin in here now so as you listen to this episode you can listen to him and and how he 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 is the masculine and he is the feminine without having to talk about it Mm. I love that. But let's listen to his bio real quick before we go into that. Mike Johnson is from Halifax, Nova Scotia, Canada, where he started a career at a young age as a recording and touring musician with his band Shine Factory and later Shelter with Thieves. He worked in festival and stage management, video and music production, and he owned and operated a music studio. Mike suffered from severe depression starting in his early teens and his rock star lifestyle easily led him to alcohol abuse and eventually a very serious drug addiction. In 2013, Mike hit a rock bottom and decided enough is enough. He admitted himself to a one-year intake addiction treatment program in Edmonton in Canada called Our House, where he dedicated his life to healing and learning everything about addiction and concurrent diseases. After losing his best friend to an overdose, Mike saw how insufficient the Western treatments alone are and became laser-focused on finding more effective ways to help himself and other addicts truly heal. In his research, he came across Dr. Gabor Mate's work treating addiction patients with ayahuasca. In 2015, Mike packed his bags and headed to Peru for three months to work with ayahuasca and began dieting master plants in the Shipibo tradition. He continued working with ayahuasca in Canada and Peru, and in in, in 2017 of January, his path led him to the Ayahuasca Foundation 10-week Corandero initiation course, where he found his place and his life purpose as a healer. Today, Mike can be found facilitating plant medicine ceremonies, offering pre-ceremony intention sessions, as well as post-ceremony integration. He continues to be creative by writing music, connecting with nature, and helping people find their healing path. Okay, a couple other things before we hop into this. Well, a little life update. I am obviously here with Mike, and... Chapters are a-closin', doors are a-openin', and changes are a-comin'. That's what I wrote on my recent Instagram post. In any news, I, um, let's see. So I, (laughs) last year I moved to New York City, and my intention was to live in New York City for at least a year. And around January, I got the papers to re-sign my apartment to be there for a second year. I was falling prey a little more to the part of me that just wanted to mark off to do's you know sometimes you get emails and you're just like I need to quickly do it and you just do it really fast to get it done with even though it really requires intention and sitting down and slowing down well I should have done that with my apartment 
signing papers, but I got them and then they just became a stack of papers I needed to uh, check off. There are starters and there are finishers in this lifetime. I am 110% a finisher. There is nothing that feels as satisfying to me as finishing a box of cereal, finishing an email that I then get to put into the trash, not archive, like immediately trash it, clean out the trash, uh, finish a chapstick. Like I love finishing things. And so I get these papers to resign my lease and I was just like, let's just do it. So I did it and um, big decision to resign for another year. And like a week later, I started hearing construction happening outside of my window and it just became plain as day that I made the wrong choice like that construction which was noise that's pretty common in New York City became a really big deal to me and it just set me into this laser focus knowing that I was not meant to stay there it was a little tiny catalyst that embedded a deep truth that I am not meant to be in this apartment for another year so Long story short, I went into this back and forth emailing um, conversation with my landlord for the next five months and quarantine hit and then she said no and then I said please and then she said maybe and then this and that and this and that. Eventually, it, it became possible for me to get out and my, my things this week that you're listening to this episode are being packed up from my New York City apartment and put into storage. I am currently upstate. I've mentioned that in the past several episodes and I am here with Mike as well and I have no idea what's next in my life. I don't know if I will be here, if I will be with him, if I will be returning to New York City once the quarantine is over and the virus dies down, if that will happen, if I'm going to be somewhere else, I don't know. And I don't need to know. All I know is that in this moment, I'm taken care of. I'm safe. My stuff's in storage. I'm out of that apartment, which I really wanted to be out of so badly. It had some negative juju, some very positive juju, but also some, some icky juju in the building and I feel free from that and I feel liberated and my Sagittarius moon heart feels so good to feel free. Freedom is very important to me in my life and it's also got a very dark shadow which is half-heartedness and never fully committing and going in. So that brings us full circle to um, this relationship that I've entered with Mike and really putting that that name on it boyfriend girlfriend monogamy committed and it feels so freaking good and today you're going to hear a lot a lot about plant medicine both my experiences and his and um I hope you feel inspired by the plant medicine by our conversations of the healing the deep healing that can happen because I owe a lot right now in my life to plant medicine I owe my relationship with Mike to it I owe this realization that my shadow side is half-heartedness to it and I owe the deep devote the next level of devotion I've had in my life to it as well it's shown me a lot of darkness which has illuminated certain areas of my life that now I'm stepping into with deep devotion last thing to mention speaking of devotion is I have not mentioned this on the podcast yet but I have a monthly membership program called the Sisu Society I have sat on the, the word Sisu for about five years since the first time someone said it to me. They said, Madeline, 
you have a lot of sisu. You feel like someone full of sisu. This word makes me think of you. And I said, what does that mean? And he said, sisu, it's a Finnish word for extraordinary determination and grit. And that is what this life calls of us, especially as feminine beings who are in our feels. And we are deeply connected to love and yearning and craving. And we want more more love with our partner. And we want more love in the world. And we want more creativity and more community. Sometimes these feelings and emotions become so vast and big that we get discouraged and we stop taking action and we feel paralyzed and we feel depressed. And that's why Sisu, feminine grit, is required to be a feminine being. We can not only be in the fields, we must also match it, pair it with extraordinary determination extraordinary discipline, not discipline in the patriarchal way or an old-fashioned dismissing our emotions kind of way, but rather unifying our ability to do the thing, do the damn thing with our feels. We are combining the emotion with the action, with the extraordinary determination, or as my teachers say, holding the pose. Because remaining devoted to love when we're triggered is not easy. It requires holding in an, un- an uncomfortable pose. Or continuing to set your boundaries when someone's ignoring them is not easy. But it's called holding the pose. Continue to hold this pose be a brokered, broken record for love, be a broken record for you, a broken record for God, standing in your truth over and over and over. So the Sisu Society is a membership platform where I will be giving two lessons per month on Facebook. I'll be doing two Facebook Lives just specifically for the Sisu Society. These these lessons will not be posted anywhere else. They are only for you if you're going to be in the membership program. Then, of course, you have a community. You have a whole bunch of resources I post throughout the week. And our first call was last week. So if you want to grab that and you also want to be present and live for the next lesson, you can sign up at maddiemoon.com forward slash sisu dash society and read all about it. You can read all of what's included and it's only $19 a month. So you can cancel anytime. There's no commitments, but I would love to have you try it out for a bit. See if you like it and include yourself in some heart centered, feminine, sisu filled nourishment and community and sisterhood. We'd love to see you there. That's it for today. Um, That's it for the intros today. Now it's time for this amazing, exceptional conversation with Mike Johnson. Hi, Mike. Hi, Madeline. So good to have you on the podcast. It's an honor to be here. This is really exciting. This is very exciting. So I always start off my podcast with one question. And that question is, what are you currently musing about in life? Anything in general? Hmm. 
am I currently musing about mm-hmm. in life? What's captivated you? What's captivated me? Um, well, I would say the most consistent muse in my life is music. And currently the combination of music with healing practices mm-hmm. and plant medicine mm-hmm. and community. Yeah. So a nice intertwining of all those things. And how is that all working out during quarantine? How is that different from normal, quote, normal life? Well, um, not a whole lot different for me at this point in time, other than not being able to gather groups of people for ceremony, Mm. um, working with music and with medicine is still something that I'm able to do during the quarantine. Yeah. 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 It's beautiful. Yeah. So I've already talked about this in the intro of the podcast, but I have been here quarantined with Mike for... 30 days now at the time of recording this episode. Has it been 30 days? Yeah, uh, yeah. today. Today. Today it's been 30 what days. What a perfect day to do this. I know, it's been one <laughs> month, so I really know you now. Mm-hmm. Um, and it's been 30 of some of like the best days mm. of my life. Likewise. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> so you're my first boyfriend to ever have on the podcast. Oh my goodness. How does that feel? I, there's not even words to, I'm so honored. Mm. It's so exciting. Yeah. Little old me. Little old you. <laughs> well, old maybe. Yeah. Just kidding. Okay, so where are we going to begin with this? I want to hear more about your journey and your story because mm. you're someone that, I mean, I want to have you on the podcast because you have so much to offer in this world and I get to see it every day. I get to see it every day here, and I was introduced to your magic with healing and and your music and the way that you can speak to people who are going through these very deep healing and sometimes traumatic experiences. You have such a gentle voice, and you you have such a gentle way of holding people throughout all of this. And I love your story of how you got to where you are today, being introduced to plant medicine, coming from being a rock star. And having what sounds like a completely different life before it, you know, if we're going to talk about past lives, that kind of feels like a past life from the work you do today. But it's really not that, I mean, it's different, but it's really not that different because it was such a bridge to get you here, to take you into the the, the darkness, you know. Mm. So I'd love to hand it over to you to share more about your background and your journey starting from you know, where you were born, anywhere you want to start, okay. to how you got really involved in music. Hmm. All right. Well, thank you, Madeline. I guess I could start with um, being a young a young boy with a twin brother mm. and being interested in music at a very young age. Some of my first memories were uh, beating on pots and pans to Beatles records that my dad would put on. And music has always been... Uh, something that inspired me and moved me. Uh, my my uncle my uncle Dave was a musician in a popular band from where I'm from, Halifax, Nova Scotia, Canada, and 
I was inspired by him at a young age going to see him play at festivals and concerts and music was always a really big part of my family so it was something that I started at a really young age I had a, a science project in grade four and we had to make a musical instrument so I took a piece of wood and screwed some guitar strings onto it no tuning no anything it was just this wretched sound that came out of it and I would sit home and play with this all the time both my brother and I to the point where I think it drove my dad pretty crazy and crazy enough to say that's it I'm getting you guys into some music lessons hmm. so he took us into um, a place called the Canadian Conservatory of Music to start lessons and when we went in he said I want to put them both in guitar lessons and my brother spoke up and said I want to play drums and it was that instantaneous so my brother went into drums and I went into guitar and we took a couple years of lessons and and then it kind of all started from there and um, we were you know we were around eight years old when we first started playing playing together and um, in high school flash forward to high school we met two guys that wanted to start a band and so we started a band and one of the guys left so it ended up being a three-piece and the guy who left was the singer and um, I decided to step into the role of doing that and it was out of my element a little bit at the time so um, I remember I remember my dad laughing at me the first time he heard me sing <laughs> and oh. that, that was that was traumatic but that made me work really hard to want to get better wow that's better. the opposite of what I think a lot of people experience is and they never they would never sing again so yeah yeah well. so very Aries of you <laughs> yes so we we had a band first called Stone Child oh I've never heard of Stone Child yeah so Stone Child was a very short-lived name and in Halifax, this was in the this was in the '90s, the early '90s, and it was a pretty vibrant scene back then. Um, Seattle had had Nirvana and Pearl Jam and the grunge, and that alternative scene was was really hitting the world. And Halifax was considered to be like a second Seattle, so there was bands like Sloan and. Um, Hardship Post and um, a lot of bands that were starting to break through in that. So there was a lot of there was a lot of eyes on Halifax, and um, it was a really vibrant time to be starting the music scene as a young band. Um, so that led us to um, getting getting shows at the bars when we were too young to be playing at the bars. So our cousin would come down and um, chaperone us sort of <laughs> and uh and we get to open for some some great some great bands and and that really just shifted my whole life from focusing on any academics um i was i never had a problem with academics my marks are always super high and really good uh, i just lost any sort of interest in that and wanted to be in a band and playing music and you weren't really challenged because we had talked about this earlier over dinner one night. That's right. I found, I found the dynamic of, of the t the teaching methods um, for most of my classes didn't challenge me enough, and I spend most of my days uh, in behind the school with my skateboard. Mm -hmm. So that was that was most of my high school days that I had to be at school. And other than that, I was 
writing songs and playing uh, music with my brother. So we 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 won a, a battle of the bands back in the day. That was kind of the first moment I remember feeling like this could really be something. It was just a little battle of the bands. It was like a um, a local fundraiser for mental health or something like that, which was really great. And we won a thousand dollars. It's a lot well, back then. It, I mean, it was a it was a lot to us. Yeah. You know? I mean, I thought we were all going to go to Disneyland with it. Right? <laughs> um, so, yeah, so that th- that was a real shift for me in, in just my my mind frame of, of uh, this is going to be my life. This is what I'm going to do. Um, can I ask what you did with that money? We, we Yes, you can. So we, we put it into going into a studio and making a, oh. making a record with it. Okay. Yeah. Smart. So our, our our music did well, um, and uh, on the indie charts, and and we started getting some help from people in the scene, and um, things really really started taking off for us at a young age, and we were uh, naive and not really uh, aware of making smart decisions, but we just wanted to play. Mm-hmm. As a story, so many so many bands could probably relate with that and share that same that same idea um so that became my life and the band name changed to shine factory shine factory yeah and we uh recorded albums did videos started touring the country opening for for big bands of the time like some 41 and blink 182 that's amazing yeah it's so amazing yeah it was it was really living the dream yeah um and throughout that, as, as much uh, fun as it was, as rewarding as it was, um, there was always a part of me that was not happy. I was really dealing with like depression. I was dealing with anxiety. I was dealing with um, a lot of discomfort in, in everything that surrounded me. And there was a lot of partying. Sex, drugs, and rock and roll was, was really the, my, you know, the motto that I followed. And that lifestyle, after, you know, over a decade of doing that, uh, it, it really snowballed into an issue of, of uh, addiction, of full-blown full, full blown alcohol and drug addiction. And that's uh, where my life hit a rock bottom. Um, so I decided to, to put the band on pause and I moved out of Halifax to geographically uh, cure, which I didn't know at the time, but that never works. You know, the issue was with me, not with where I was. Where did you go? I moved out to Edmonton. Mm-hmm. Uh, my younger brother was living out there and I moved out there with him. And, and that was your only protocol at the time, just need to move? Yeah. Yeah, yeah, which is still a great. I mean, I think it's a great starting point for a lot of people. It it was it's not the answer, but it can help a lot. It definitely was, um, and not in the way that you would think it would be, because what actually ended up happening was me going deeper mm-hmm. into my addiction out there because I didn't have my music. I started working um, a job installing garage doors, um, started my own company doing that, 
I started making a lot of money and didn't have my 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 vice for my passion which was music and to do that and um, so I went deeper into drugs um, and really hit a rock bottom out there where I ended up not able to work um, because I was just sick all the time and had gone through all the money that I made just went went into that I had sold all the things that I owned you know I'd really hit a point where I'd given up on myself I'd given up on everything um, and that went on for a while um, the turning point for me was one time when I got a phone call from my mom and she had called many times before and you know I've passed it off or didn't really let her in on the extent of what was going on in my life and it got to a point where I think she really started to understand what was happening and when I heard the desperation in her voice to for me to get some help um, the timing on it just really hit me mm. and I realized that I wasn't just affecting myself I was affecting all my family it was affecting everyone that cared about me everyone that I cared about was being affected by this I I was I was in a point where I was fine if I didn't wake up the next morning like I was mm. I was okay with that at that point in my life so I looked into I looked into a treatment center I had some help from from one of the services out in Edmonton like a, a, a call service for addicts to call or people that were in crisis a crisis line and I love that you called them, by the way. Yeah. I think people don't use those numbers enough when they're they're just suffering in silence. It's it's the hardest thing to do is to pick up the phone. The phone becomes a thousand pound weight, you know, or any any way of reaching out for help when you're in that state can, uh, can seem like the most um, impossible thing to do. Um, but I did it, and I ended up in a, uh, a one-month treatment center that was really really great um, it felt kind of like a high school of life teachings of things that I felt I needed or I felt that people should be learning in school communication and and uh, learning about relationships and learning about all the life skills um, emotions, emotion. nonviolent communication, yeah, being good, like how to get through a fight, all these things we should be learning in high school mm -hmm. that we don't learn. So people either have to go into these courses to learn, like these personal development courses, or go to rehab, exactly. or meet people in your life that you know teach you how to have these tools. Very fundamental things. Exactly. So when I was there, uh, it came very clear to me that I needed more. I needed more than just the month that I was going to be there. And at the time when the month came to an end, uh, I I definitely felt better. I felt a shift in myself from being away from drugs and alcohol for that long and, and focusing on things that uh, are healthy and things that, uh, you know, alternate ways of having fun that didn't involve partying. Uh, and I knew I needed to look into something else. Um, and also the universe kind of lined things up in a way for me where 
uh, it was easy to make that decision where the the person I was living with at the time was still uh, using and it wasn't a safe place for me to go back to that so so I looked into other treatment centers and there was one that was three months long and I went and looked at that place and uh, you know I felt like that would be good but then I found I found a place that was a one-year uh, intake treatment center so I would go there and live in a tiny little room with a roommate with 60 other guys it was an all-male treatment center um, with a kind of a revolving door of people coming and going all different levels of sickness all different levels of addiction and as intimidating as it was it felt it felt like the most amazing decision I could ever make for myself in my life and it felt so good to let go let to let go of everything and just put myself in that in that place and put myself in that state of for the next year I'm gonna work on me and that's all I'm gonna do mm. that's it and I can express how much gratitude I have for that center with the constraints they had of working in a Western system with dealing with mental health dealing with addictions our our system is not set up properly to help people with mental health and addiction and any co-current diseases like that um, the center had a had a uh, success rate of somewhere around four or five percent of people that actually made it through wow the center and it's tough it was it was the hardest thing that i ever did because people get there. kicked out or they just leave? they get kicked out or um you know it was like a, its own little community um it was a a micro society with stricter rules and it made sense to have those in place because most of the people coming needed that but also it was very difficult mm -hmm. to live under that um, certain hierarchies that didn't make sense um, a, a lot of um, a lot of really ridiculous rules that just didn't make sense to anybody like what um, um, we were in an addiction center and there was um, as much coffee as you could drink you could smoke like almost everywhere and so certain things like that didn't didn't jive with me that would just be one example but um, yeah it was it was challenging as well with uh, they'd have certain positions that people would get so you'd work yourself into being able to be um, the, the the leader of the chores. There was chores for everybody. So if you got yourself in a position of that, then you got to set out what everybody's chore was. Oh, wow. So people would take... What was your chore? Oh, I mean, over the year, I had just about every chore. What was your chore. favorite chore? Um, going to the food bank, because then we got to get out. Yeah. And just go pick out food. What was your least favorite chore? Cleaning the kitchen. <laughs> It was a big kitchen, yeah. and yeah, it took a long time. It's frustrating. That's why you're so good at cleaning kitchens now. <laughs> That's right. <laughs> <laughs> All makes sense. Yeah, yeah. Um, the other, the other part of um, 
the hypocrisy for me with um, with a treatment center like this is they wanted everyone to be medicated. They wanted everyone to be medicated with, yeah. with um, um, pharmaceuticals. Mm. So there was a doctor there that would basically prescribe everybody antidepressants, mood, oh. mood stabilizers, yeah. all these things instead of really going deep. Mm. They wanted to... It, it was like they were mandated to really get everybody into a zombie state feed them all kinds of food give them all kinds of coffee as long as they were staying off drugs then they were doing their job yeah so the holes that i saw in this system really frustrated me and i wanted to leave many many times but i knew how important it was to stick it through uh yeah it sounds like you took you had the power to take what resonated with you and then leave what didn't and not like leave the whole center simply because you didn't like the way the center was ruling everything but really you had that sovereignty of deciding like i'm not going to take part in all the pharmaceuticals and all the ha all the coffee you can possibly have and just summon your own self-monitoring during that time definitely i was actually on antidepressants before i went in there and part mm -hmm. of my my goal was to get off of everything i was i quit smoking uh, you know i was i was wanting to clean everything up and um so so that's one thing that raised challenges for me was wanting to walk into the building and everybody standing out smoking and people smoking outside of my room and then having to go in and um first thing in the morning and everyone's standing in line to take their pills and um yeah, that just didn't resonate with me as 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 something that was really efficient of of getting to the root issues. Yeah. So mm. I want to go into finding plant medicine. Mm -hmm. How soon after you left rehab did you? How did you even find plant medicine? Actually, so it was, was the first time. It was during rehab, and oh. because of all these things, these holes that I was seeing in the system, I've. I felt there had to be some better ways. There really had to be some better ways of, of getting deep within yourself and getting to the core root of our traumas and our, our issues of why we use, why we want to escape. I had a really great counselor there at the time who, who was um, very encouraging towards looking into different different things and I came across um, Dr. Gabor Maté who's uh, a physician in in uh, Vancouver and he was working with um, really doing some really great work with addicts on the Lower East Side of Vancouver and there was a documentary where he had brought addicts down to Peru to work with this plant medicine I didn't even know the name of it at the time um, and I was really, really intrigued by this documentary and the success that he had and, and hearing these people and watching their journey go from being really, really sick to having a, having a glimmer in their eye, having a spark in their eye, mm -hmm. having a smile about life again. And I craved that for myself. I, I wanted that so much for myself. So I started looking into it and I found out that it was called ayahuasca and I looked into 
as much as I could. I was researching, researching everything. Um, what really hit the, hit hit it on the head for me was my best friend Greg in treatment. Um, he uh, he didn't make it, so he overdosed shortly after treatment, and that hit me so so hard because I felt like that was going to be my that was going to be me too if Greg couldn't make it and he was a strong strong guy. Um, you know, I didn't feel like I would either. So after that, I kind of put a laser beam focus and like dedicated my life to finding what would work for myself to heal. First and foremost is what I wanted to focus on was just getting myself healed, going into, going into, uh, going deep into myself, even deeper than going into a one year treatment course. Um, so I did some research found a place in Peru. Um, it took me a little while to gather the resources to get down there. And then I went down and, uh, and spent two months down there. Um, I actually did find a community in Halifax before I went down. So it was kind of one of my first experiences was with a really great community in Halifax. And I'm really happy I had that because it set a nice foundation for me before I went into the crazy jungle and sat with, um, you know, full on plant, crazy plant medicine. <laughs> so it was really nice to have that foundation, but the real massive turning point for me was getting down there. And, mm -hmm. um, when, uh, when I was there, I did, I did two plant diets the first time. I was what is that? There. So a plant diet is, it is a process of um, going into a relationship with the spirit of a plant. And this is based in the Shipibo tradition. The Shipibo are a tribe from the Amazon basin of Peru that, that are known as the masters of ayahuasca. Mm. And they've been working with it for thousands of years. And if you can understand this, it makes sense in the way that, you know, these people lived and grew along with the plants in the jungle as a community so the plants to them are no different than the people and the plants provide medicine and every plant has a spirit every plant has uh, light and every plant has dark just the same as we have as people we have good parts of us and we have shadow parts of us so through their work in the jungle with the plants they develop relationships with the spirits of these plants and certain ones would be really great healers and they would work with these plants and the people that did diets with these plants which is a process of going into isolation um, eating a very very limited diet of rice maybe a little river fish or something like that and ingesting a bit of this plant to bring it into your body but then meditating and spending like every day every day for traditionally the old guys would do it for years the, you know they would go into the jungle it's like would, microdosing in a way like modern day microdosing not necessarily because the the plant doesn't necessarily have any 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 real effect on your body as if you were if you were taking you know something that had some physiological effect on you like ayahuasca or like um, psilocybin or something like that it has more of a 
an effect on you. Mm -hmm. These plants don't necessarily in that way. Um, it's more of an over time process. It takes a really long time to build this relationship. Uh, so, so I, I did that. You did two of those. <laughs> that was my first thing that I did. Yeah. Was two of those. Going deep, going way going, deep. Going like going in head first. Yeah. And yeah. then you realized that this was. So it was through that process that I that I realized that this was my new calling and it was my life purpose to continue my healing journey and to be able to take everything that I've learned all my struggles, all my trials, to take all my fears and to use that as strength to be able to help others, mm. as well as all my talents and all my skills with music, with, with communication, with everything I learned in the, in the treatment center, and to be able to take that all together and put it into practice, put it into a practice working with plant medicine yeah that's beautiful yeah i love this story yeah something you and i talked about when we were on a walk earlier is um i don't know if the word is misconception but the the reason why going into ayahuasca or plant medicine could actually be incredibly helpful for people who have had addictions i have heard from a, pu a few people in my community that they're uh, concerned about going into plant medicine because it could trigger their addiction. Maybe um, going, uh, being alcoholics or being addicted to drugs. What is the difference between going into this type of, like, it's a medicine, it's not, mm -hmm. a, it's not a drug, but why is this a medicine for people who have had addictions? That's a, it's a great question and I struggle with that when I first started looking into it and the reaction I would get from, from people in the, in the uh, community of, of, um, um, uh, word. sorry. Okay. Um, <laughs> the rehab community. Yeah. Yeah. Um, was, you know, this, so there's this, you know, there's this thing never again, like don't, you don't ever touch another drug again. You, it's it seemed very oppressive to me in a way because it, the in my opinion the problem is not necessarily that the problem is something else the problem is is something within us that's deeper and there's this idea that as an addict you're you're flawed mm -hmm. and i don't i don't agree with that i never agreed with that i think no one is flawed it's just part of your journeys to figure out these things that that you need to get through it's all part of the lessons so one of the main differences is, like you said, it's a medicine, but the ceremonial aspect of it. So the set and the setting, the place that you're doing it, the mindset that you're in, your intention, your intention is key. When I was drinking and doing drugs, my intention was to get fucked up. Yeah, to like leave, to mentally disassociate right. and go away. And with, with this medicine, ayahuasca has the most amazing ability to help bring you in to see what you need to see within yourself and we say it and we hear it all the time that ayahuasca gives you what you need not what you want mm. um, so for someone that is an addict or someone that's concerned that something 
like ayahuasca could trigger their addiction again first of all there's no recreational purpose to take a medicine like this that puts you into a very deep state where you are potentially going to be purging um, you're not going to be able to walk possibly um, it's it's not always a pleasant experience so yeah. the idea of wanting to do that recreationally yeah. is ridiculous and i don't think that would i i did it recently and my uh, a ceremony and i i just told my sister i was like okay i'm going into ceremony and she was like have fun exclamation point exclamation point she's never done it and i was like mm, i don't think you quite understand what it's like but that's okay exactly. it's not one of those having fun situations like you said you get what you need not what you want exactly yeah. mm-hmm Mm. I hope that answers your question. Yeah, that's perfect. That's yeah. beautiful. Mm -hmm. um, yeah, I'm just feeling into if there's anything else around the, um, the drug side. Um, no, I think that's it. Is there anything else around there, you think? Well, there's many different medicines that come from the Amazon, that come from the tradition that that I've been working with in the Shipibo tradition. So ayahuasca is one tool. Mm. And ayahuasca traditionally was used by um, coranderos, which means someone who cures. Um, we in the West call them shamans, but that's not really accurate. Um, ayahuasca is, is, a, is a tool that's used for them as a diagnostic tool. So typically they would drink the brew that they made their patients would sit around sit around them and they would sing their ikaros their healing songs and be able to diagnose what's wrong with people and get information from their diets which are the plants they have relationships with that would give them information on what they needed to prescribe to each person to be able to heal from whatever their issue is so along with ayahuasca in my journey there's other plant medicines that have been have been uh, paramount in in my healing process and some of these are really difficult medicines to take and they're called purgatives which basically you are ingesting something that is highly highly toxic and your body recognizes it as a toxin it wants to remove it what it also triggers your body to do is to release every other toxin into your stomach and or into your intestines and you will release that through vomiting sweating shitting um, yeah. and for however long some of the medicines will go on for eight or nine hours what doing this. whoa can you move can you walk well it, it depends it all depends how um, many times have you done that um quite a few uh, there's different there's different medicines there's one called a bija which is a seed um, and we're taught how intelligent these plants are as well because they go in and they know what your body needs to to release and they get in there and they help clean you um, one of the massive parts about this tradition and working with this medicine is is cleaning cleaning the body cleaning the body um, so I've seen it actually take people and put them in a coma state for a couple days 
while it did work on rewiring their thought patterns or rewiring their 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 brain mm -hmm. um so along with ayahuasca you know I, I think a lot of people look at ayahuasca as this this pinnacle of, of healing medicine and it's it's really just another tool um there's a lot of other medicines there's a lot of other ways and by no means is ayahuasca a, a be-all and end-all of of your healing ayahuasca is a is is a tool and it's a medicine to help your process but ultimately it comes down to you and how you're going to integrate what you learned from your ceremony yeah um so you call on your on your plant spirits the plant spirits you've done diets with how often is this something that you do like when i think of praying like mm -hmm. saying prayers many people pray to goddesses many people pray to god many people pray to uh whoever they have a deep connection with the lords of karma is a new thing i've heard of so is praying when you pray is it to the universe and to god or are you particularly praying to the plants you have relationships with a lot of the time most of the time i i feel as if these these plants are my allies and they're they're close to me so i do i do pray to 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 my diet plants um i do also pray to you know a universal mm -hmm. energy or creator um but first and foremost the my my diets the plant spirits are my my initial uh spirituality yeah. Yeah. Is, is what that's become for me mm -hmm. So you've guided a lot of people through these ceremonies by playing music and by um, being a part of the integration process before and after. What's one of the things that you find people, I, I guess I'll say misconception, like they have a misconception going into the ceremony, thinking that they're going to see all these visualizations and then be told the truth or they're going to hear a voice as if it is God speaking directly to them. What's, what are a few things you can share that will help people have, um, I don't know if the word is expectations, but will have more aligned expectations with going into a ceremony of what it might feel like for them, mm -hmm. what they might see, what they might hear, if that's part of it. Absolutely. I think one of the worst things that anyone can do before going into a ceremony is do any sort of research online about other people's experiences it's so different for each person and the old guys would say that visions actually are a distraction you know when you're first starting to work with the medicine um it's it, it can work on so many different levels on a physical level it can work on an emotional level every time you drink ayahuasca something is going to happen and it's interesting how many times i've heard people after their first time nothing happened that was me yeah something 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 did happen and it might take time to realize what that is no no nothing happened <laughs> it can it can also be uh a, you know it's a relationship as well yeah so it it takes some time it can take that. some time to build a relationship with that and to be able to open up to allow yourself to trust that medicine to work with you yeah. Yeah. So I've done now 10 ceremonies, 10 mm -hmm. ayahuasca specific ceremonies. Um, the first four that I did, 
I didn't feel anything at all. And I think there's a whole host of reasons behind why I didn't experience anything. I think I want one, um, it was a trade. I was sent there to basically do coverage of the place I did it at. So it was free, which energetically, I think, I believe that when you're investing in something, especially financially, like you're, you're saying I'm all in. And so by me just being brought in, which was fabulous and great, um, I don't think that my full heart was put into it. Th that's one tiny thing. The second thing was that the container didn't feel good. Container didn't feel tight. There were too many people. Um, it was a, it felt a lot of, felt like a lot of show mm -hmm. rather than like the raw nitty gritty relationship that you experience with the plants. It was more about the, um, the center and yeah, like what the facility looked like and how many people that they could fit into one place to do these ceremonies. And, um, it, the lights were all on and people were chatting and, tons of people were singing and you, the process, it was so challenging for me to go into my own process because I'm very sensitive to sound. Mm. And then I did my fifth, sixth, seventh, eighth, ninth, and 10th, completely different um, atmosphere and space. I did it with you as well. Mm -hmm. And it was so beautiful. And that's how we first connected is in this incredibly raw and vulnerable state where um, like, I didn't even, I didn't even, allow my brain to go to that place of thinking that there could be love that would come out of doing, um, a plant medicine journey. I'm going to just share this, this, we're go I'm going into a little romantic thing. So mm -hmm. I, um, I, I woke up one morning when I was in Brooklyn and I just had this immediate thought that I needed to go do plant medicine. Like it was just so immediate. I was like, you need to go to this space. You need to go do it. And you're going to do it next weekend. And I made this little deal with God and I was like, okay, if I'm meant to go and do this ceremony, then please, please, please give me a sign by 2 PM. And then I'm pretty sure it was immediately at 2 PM. I received said sign very clear. And then, uh, found a way to get to this ceremony where I met you and, completely cried our first conversation and you know it was just so amazing how raw and open and vulnerable that I felt I just completely trusted you in that space to hold whatever I threw your way as like this feminine creature and you just held it so beautifully and then it transitioned into such a deep connection I mean our first talk was so deep and so beautiful and raw but then it very, 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 very instantaneously turned into something that was much more powerful than just, oh, this is a, this is a beautiful experience between a facilitator and a student where they're, um, healing together. It was more than that. And I'm so grateful for listening to that calling and continuing to talk with you and, and grow what we have together. And I, I thank the plants for that, for sure. I felt like they were working mm. through me, um, long before, I actually got to that ceremony to meet you, like pulling me in. And since I've done all of these ceremonies, I was telling you this the other day, my relationship with um, ayahuasca, because that's the only one I've done so far, has every single time continued to get clearer and clearer. Like the what I'm feeling, what I'm sensing, the, the conversing that I feel like I'm doing with the plants in ceremony is getting stronger. My intentions are more directed and... I completely agree with the 
idea that the visualizations can be distractions. They have been for me. There have been times where I've been seeing things and like immediately when the visualizations start, I'm like, please take it away. Please take it away. Just, I, I want to feel. Because that's one of the things you told me when we were having that first conversation. I was telling you that I was seeing all this really dark shit, like the stuff I did not want to see. Very dark shit that didn't make any sense. And it felt like it was traumatizing me and I wasn't happy about it. And you just said, go into the feeling. What is the feeling that you have when you see that? And if you don't feel like it's serving you and you're unsure if it's serving you, ask the medicine, if this is not serving me, will you please show me something that will? Or let this go if it's not telling me something that I need to know. And I've used that ever since. And that always happens. It, it either just kind of washes away or it transitions into something else that will help me to see. But... Um, I found this process of plant medicine to be exactly that. It is not a one-time thing. It is definitely a process, like if you choose. But my first ceremony is vastly different from my 10th one. And it was about the fifth one that I felt, uh-uh, I don't, uh-uh, don't want to do this anymore. I don't want to do this. And you held me through that, letting me know that anything worthwhile that is light does come with that shadow and that darkness. And why not go into that place anyways, if you know it will lead to healing. And I had my fifth one or sixth one that was um, the hardest for me. It was incredibly hard. Um, My ceremony started when the ceremony ended. Because that's when I finally had the purge that I had been waiting for. And all these stories were coming up about oh, I'm the last one, I'm such a hassle, I'm a bad girl, not a good girl, like, everyone is done with the ceremony, and I'm just beginning, I'm going to be trouble, I'm this, I'm that, and the things that I could hear people say, I was even turning it into a story to fit my story. Like, someone could say something like, going to bed, I'm tired, from the ceremony, and then I would hear, Madeline sucks. (laughs) Like, (laughs) I was just so in this story, Mm -hmm. and, um... I went through my journey, even though the ceremony was done, the music was done, and and it was a beautiful experience, and it's exactly what I I needed, not wanted at all, and I'm so grateful for it. And after that experience of going into the the darkness, the most darkness I've experienced in ayahuasca yet, um, I feel I felt so humbled, so incredibly humbled, also what I needed, and happy to do more. I, 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 like once I went to that place, I was like, okay, now I'm on board with this style of medicine. Now I feel that I can go into it with that attitude of this is good for me. It's hard, but it's good for me. Why not? So those are my experiences so far. It's so beautiful. It's so nice to hear you express all that. Yeah. Yeah. It's been a, it's been a, an honor to be a witness and to be someone there with you Mm. through that process Mm. thank you yeah i'm only doing it because of you by the way (laughs) i'm not doing it for me of course (laughs) of course okay Mm. Mm. yeah so i want to make sure that i put some attention on your incredible gift with music when it comes to these ceremonies that you do it's one of my favorite parts of being 
um, in the ceremonies is listening to you sing and listening to you. So you are part of the medicine. You're part of the entire experience. The work that you do, the music that you play, these Icaros, as they are called. Um, and you take medicine as you do that. You take medicine and you're singing, which to me is wildly impressive. What is that like to drink the brew and then go into this state of offering your gift and feeling the energy of the ceremony and of the room and what's needed? How do you know what Icaros to sing and how do you feel the presence of the plants as you go into that gift of yours? It feels like a, a very guided process for me. Uh, in in the ceremony space there's there's some of it that involves a thought process on my part but a large part of it is in, is intuition and being intuitive of what energy the the room is is needing at that time um, there are particular icaros that are used for particular reasons with with people for helping clear things or helping protection uh, so that there's there's reasons to sing certain necros at certain times but then there's also times where it, it it can open up to feel like a direct channel to to the medicine to the spirit of ayahuasca to the spirit of the diet plants that we work with of coming through and actually singing through me using my body as a as a vessel for them to do their work um, that doesn't happen every time, but when that does happen, it's it's uh, it's, it's surreal. Mm -hmm. It's a it's a very uh, it's a very amazing experience to be in a position to 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 feel that, and it's it's a humbling position, and it's it's also it doesn't always feel like it's me doing the work. So I've feel like the credit needs to be given to the plants mm -hmm. for the work that's being done. Um, I definitely am able to tap into the years of playing music up on stage under all kinds of different scenarios, different situations, technical difficulties, um, great audiences terrible audiences um being half drunk being super tired all those incidences really feel like training for the ceremony space for me now will you play something for us now i would love to yeah yeah okay what are you gonna play for us so this is an ikaro that is a, a family tradition from my teachers from don enrique and Don Rono, who are two of my Shipibo teachers. And in their family, there is Icaros that are handed down through the generations. And this Icaro is one of their family Icaros. And I learned it and then I took my guitar and did a composition and changed the melody. And this is my version of it. Okay. Okay, everyone, just sit back and relax and listen to the Mike Johnson plays beautiful music.
How stunning. Thank you for singing that for us. Thank you. Why did you choose that song out of all the songs? It's it's my favorite. It's a good reason. Yeah. Uh, I feel really emotional connection to that song. Mm. It's been with me through uh, my my journey. It was one of the first ones that I learned. It was the first one that I took and made into my own composition, my own energy intertwined with that Icaro and um, I find it very moving. Hmm. If anyone wants to watch him perform that very beautiful song, I put it on my Instagram live so you can see it there too in our little airstream. Hmm. The last thing that I wanted to talk with you about before we head into the divine deep dive round is being a twin. I'm really interested to hear what that journey has been like coming into fruition as your own individual and your own person as a twin. Because um, I know that's greatly affected a lot in your journey of finding your own voice and your own um, individuality, your own heart, the way that you shine specifically. So I'll leave it there. What has that been like? Okay. It's always an interesting topic when someone asks what it's like to be a twin. And I always want to follow it up with a, another question of what it's like to not be a twin. Because I don't know what it's like to not have shared everything with someone growing up. And to feel of an individual has been a process for me over the last bunch of years to really understand what Mike means to Mike, who Mike is, who I am. I believe that was a really big part of my escapism with the addictions as well, was a feeling of lack of, of connection with myself. And it's been an incredible blessing to have my best friend, my twin brother, share the majority of my life with me. And it's really only been since I've been on this path of self-discovery and, and healing through rehab and through plant medicine that I've taken different, we've taken different paths in our life. And I've really learned, I've been learning about what it's like to be myself. Um, people are inclined to look at, at, at twins as the twins. So it was, it was always the boys or the twins coming over or, and even friends in, in, in grade school, it was friends that we shared. Um, we had some friends that we would connect with a little separately, but it was, it was mostly, a, you know, a group and it always felt in a group setting and I'm so grateful for all of it because it was, it was such an interesting uh, dynamic of, of being um, popular, I guess, if you want to say that. Like, you know, it, we were noticed. You know, we were always noticed. And it was, it was a benefit to the band as well, where it was the twins. Um, and 
my brother has been my number one confidant and my number one supporter but also my number one enabler and my my number one shadow through um through a lot of my life so basically your number one teacher my number one teacher yeah absolutely hmm does that answer your question it does thank you (laughs) there's there's way more i could say well i think it's important to to share this because there are a lot of twins out there and i don't think this is a very typical podcast conversation of maneuvering the life of being a twin and how that journey i'm assuming is very common to finding your own individuality and being noticed not for being a twin Mm -hmm. but being noticed for being you Mm -hmm. and you're also a projector which we've talked about quite a bit and the importance of receiving recognition for projectors is um, paramount Mm -hmm. we're two projectors together Mm -hmm. so we're constantly recognizing each other like (laughs) literally all day long you're amazing you're amazing you're amazing you're amazing you're amazing it's projector heaven it's so great we could probably do a whole podcast on what it's like to be a twin yeah most definitely yeah we definitely could so um as i've said a few times already you're so amazing and wonderful at holding people in their processes and since I've talked about ayahuasca a bit on my Instagram and uh, on shows, I've received a lot of emails from people saying that they want to start this process, they're interested in this journey. Obviously, right now we have COVID going on and there's not a lot of ceremonies happening, but uh, I've heard of people making plans for ceremonies that they want to start doing. And something that was really important for me when I did um not my most recent ceremony, but the one that I did earlier in the year was to have support in the process before I went in to the ceremony of what do I want to receive from this? What do I want to let go? Not to go too crazy into the details, but to have a, um, be really heart-centered with it. That's really mm. what I'm, that's what I mean is to be heart-centered in the direction of the ceremony so that I wasn't going from being, uh, a a city girl fast paced go 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 doing all the things to doing this really quick plant medicine ceremony that I just check off my list and then go right back into the go 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 because that would completely obliterate any of that work that needed to be integrated into my life and I didn't even think about that because my pattern was so fast paced living in New York City I needed someone to say clear out your calendar for that week make sure you have two full days of integration here are some integration tools you can use to help your nervous system do that healing that you're doing the ceremony for because if you're gonna do a ceremony you want to get out of it what you want to get out of it what you need so you offer people integration sessions before and after ceremonies um, which is really exciting and such a beautiful Mm. offering and I know that your website right now is currently having some work done on it. Where can people connect with you if they want to have a session with you? I would I would say the best way right now would just be to email me at themikejohnson at me.com. And, um, you know, it's kind of hard to build a website living in the jungle for the last two <laughs> years. So I'm on that right now. I'm going to have that up as soon as I can. I'd be happy to just receive an email from anyone that was interested and I'm um, very 
honored to hold space for anyone to um, provide any guidance for pre-ceremony or, or, or post-integration or to provide any sort of guidance that I could. I'd be honored and grateful to do that. Beautiful. So themikejohnson at me.com and I'll make sure that I have your website URL up on the show notes for this once that is live and I'll also have the links to your band and to your social and all of those good things. That'll be at maddiemoon.com forward slash Mike dash Johnson. And now hmm. are you ready for the divine deep dive I round? I don't know if I am, but I'm going to show up. <laughs> no one's ever ready. Don't worry. Okay. <clears throat> Question number one. Mm-hmm. What is one must read book everyone has to get? The Untethered Soul. Oh, that was fast. Maybe you are ready. The Untethered Soul is incredible. I love that book. Yeah. What is your number one inspiration for your music when you were 20, 30, and 40? Like number one when I was 20, number one when I was 30, number one when I was 40? Mm-hmm. That might take just a little bit of thought. It's okay. <laughs> <laughs> That's why it's called a divine deep dive round right, and not right. quick fire. Oh, uh, okay. Gotcha. <laughs> uh, 20s, 20s. 20s would be... First gut response, the first band I'm, that pops in your head. Because I'm trying to, I'm trying to think of of the timing on the years on that. But I would say, I would say it was still, it was still probably in like the Nirvana, Pearl Jam, Red Hot Chili Peppers. That's twenty. Um, maybe that was younger for, the, for that. Okay, this might be a, just like go with your gut. Let's just. <laughs> Nirvana's 20, 30 is, uh, I'm being bossy, I'm sorry. 30s, I was into, it was probably more in my late 20s, but I'd say 30s, like Coheed and Cambria, mm. um, um, Thrice, I'm a big fan of Thrice, um, and uh, yeah, maybe... Yeah, that's it. Those are the only two bands I ever listened to in my 30s. Okay, 40s. <laughs> I listen to more bands than that. Just, so, I know. Yeah, okay, all right. 40s. Um, wow. Now it's it's it seems to be like a, a, a cone over the years where it, it gets wider and wider of my musical tastes and my musical influences because starting working with the plant medicine when I was, you know, 36 till now has widened into the type of music that I'm inspired by. So it goes from, um, more, uh, softer, um, ambient things to, to even more heavy things than I would have listened to before. Um, so, I feel it's kind of all over the map. Can I make two suggestions for you for this one? So we can just tool. Tool. You didn't list tool yet. Okay. And Xavier. Xavier Rudd. Yeah. Yeah. That's great. Thank you. (laughs) You're welcome. (laughs) This is why we're a good match. I know. I pay attention. Yeah. If you were a plant, any plant, what plant would you be? Oh my goodness. And it could be food, because food is plant. Oh wow. If I was any plant, what would I be? Um, 
Well, I was told by the plant of all plants that I am a tree. Mm. Yeah, you are. <laughs> <laughs> and what type of tree? Um, that's still yet to be determined, but I'm, mm. I'm a tree. Yeah. Yeah, you are. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> um, in, in the work that I do around the feminine and masculine, people have been listening to this for a while. The example that I always give for the masculine is tree is a redwood forest tree with sturdy tree trunks. Mm. I feel that from you. I like that. Maybe, maybe oak. You also have a lot of beautiful feminine energy too. Mm, like you're a very like emotionally in touch human being and, uh, we'll have another podcast about that someday. I'm sure. Awesome. What it's like to be in a relationship where you're super agile with the feminine, the masculine, the holding space and the taking up space and all of that. We're still figuring that out. Fantastic idea. Yeah. Okay. If you had three items on an Island, what would they be? Well, the very first number one thing that would absolutely have to be there. I think you could probably guess what that is. Guitar. Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, absolutely. Um, do I need three? Yes. Can it be a person? Yes. You. Yay. <laughs> Good answer. <laughs> so my guitar, you, and I don't think I need anything else. Well, come on. Like, you know, you're on an island. Like you want a, you want a machete, you yeah, want water. Okay. All right. Something useful like a knife. Okay, great. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> if love was a flavor, what flavor would it be? Mm, probably like blackberries. Ooh. Mm. <gasps> yeah. 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 That's it. That's a good answer. It's <laughs> all good answers. Yeah. <laughs> what would your last meal on earth be? My last meal on earth. Can I have three of those? Yeah, you can have as okay. many as you All want, right. baby. Um, so, ahi dagajina, which is a Peruvian dish, which is a, like a pulled chicken on rice with this amazing pepper sauce. Mm. It's, oh, it's mm. so good. Um, and then I would have to say, this sal has to count as one, okay? Green curry, pad thai, oh, yeah. red curry, and fresh spring rolls. Yeah. That's one meal, okay? And then, of course, pizza. Oh, yeah. Mm-hmm. Of course, pizza. Can I have a fourth one? You can. <laughs> this is the question where you, it's your last meal on earth. You can have as many as you want. Okay. So I I think I'd put an eggs benedict in there, too. Oh. Yeah. We haven't had that meal together. We haven't. We haven't had the opportunity. And, I mean, we could probably do a podcast on food. Yes. Yeah. Maybe a <laughs> bonus we, episode. We like food. Yeah. And there's a lot of food do. to talk about. I mean, I could tell everybody about Donairs from the East Coast of Do- Canada. Yeah. Did you tell me about this? I did. Yeah. yeah. It rings a bell. Yeah. What's a Donair? Well, it's it's a spicy meat. It's very much like a um, a shawarma. So it's in a, it's in a piece of pita like a a grilled piece of pita with spicy meatloaf that is like lamb Mm. beef super spicy onions diced onions diced tomatoes and a and a a garlicky sweet sauce 
It's amazing. That sounds great. It's it's disgusting, but it's amazing. It's disgusting. It's so good. Yes. We should make one. And we could do that. What is a quote that you live by? It's a John Lennon quote. And he said, it'll all work out in the end. And if it hasn't worked out, it's not the end. That's one of the first things that I remember you saying. Hmm. I remember you saying that in one of our first conversations. Yeah. <laughs> it brought immediate relief to me. Spoiler alert. Spoiler, yeah. It's all going to be okay. What's your favorite place to think when you need thinking time? Shower. Definitely the shower. Where would I find you on a Friday night if it wasn't quarantine? Ooh, where would you find me on a Friday night uh, if it wasn't quarantine? Um, either in a ceremony space or where I would desire to be now is on a blanket on the lawn looking at the stars mm. with Madeline Moon. <laughs> we get to do that soon. I know, as soon as it warms up. Yeah. On a Friday night and a Saturday night and a Sunday night. Whoa, whoa, whoa. Okay, too much. <laughs> okay. Uh, you know, we've had a, we've had our fair share of some wine together. We've had um, a couple tasty brews. We've had uh, some seltzer, little seltzer drinks. Oh, yeah, those were fun. But those aren't quarantine cocktails. No? If you were going to... No, we, had, we didn't make them. If you oh. were going to make a quarantine cocktail... Quarantine cocktail. What would you make? What what ingredients would you throw together, uh, bartender Mike yeah. Johnson? Well, you know, hmm, I definitely don't put the same amount of thought into alcoholic beverages that I used to. <laughs> so I kind of like to have a beer or wine or a seltzer. That's cool. Um, you know, like some strawberry daiquiris might be mm. really good. Or margaritas or something. Mm. Now we're talking. Yeah, yeah. But, you know, I could give it, I could take it or leave it. To yeah. You. Yeah. Yeah, I can too. I yeah. like wine a lot. I don't know. When I'm in the city, I want to have a good Manhattan or a good. Well, you have a Manhattan when you're in Manhattan, yeah. yeah. Well, okay. Yeah, okay. <laughs> sure. They're really quite easy to make. It takes like three ingredients. I don't even know what a Manhattan is. Okay, we'll make one later. Right. Very strong though. Okay, I don't know why this is my last question. I'll probably, I'm going to add another one after this because this is a negative note and I don't want to leave it on a negative note. What's something that really bothers you that doesn't, that, like, doesn't really bother other people? Um, that doesn't bother other people. Something, that that, or maybe, maybe it can. I don't know. Just well, what bothers me, that comes up a lot, what bothers me at this time of my life is the unicorn and rainbow outlook on spirituality and on healing with the plant medicine and taking things way too far into flighty ungroundedness ungroundedness is something that um, bothers me um and i guess that's my shit to work out on that isn't it yeah, and I and. completely agree with you. And that's yeah. why we make such a good match. We're yeah. spiritual, and we're also spiritual on this planet Earth. We're like, it's a goal, at least, for us to Absolutely. be here, rooted to the Earth, as yeah. we venture 
into spirituality. It's great to use imagination and to use um, to use any tools to be able to go into those realms. But there's a fact of the matter is we're here, and we we need to we need to work with what with what we're surrounded with and what we're in. We need to be able to function mm. in this world. So being grounded is an absolute necessity, in my opinion. Last question for you. When you were a child, what did you want to be when you grew up? And not a rock star, because you were a rock star. Okay. It has to be something you didn't do. Hmm. Well, I, hmm. What did I want to be when I grew up? I mean, other, like, you know, I had the typical, I wanted to be a fireman. That was a pretty typical one. I wanted to be a police officer. Like a someone in, a, yeah. in authority, I think, is what I wanted when I was mm -hmm. younger. And then, at a, yeah, at a very young age, it was obviously rock star. And, um, hmm. I, I feel I always knew that I wanted to help people. And I took that role at a young age, too, of just wanting to always be there for people and always help people so I think whatever whatever my life transitions into and what I'm doing is exactly what I wanted to do is that a good answer that's a great answer yeah I think it's what everyone wants to be able to say and I think it's beautiful that you have created that life whatever path that it chooses to take whatever direction it still stays on that course and it's always allowed to change mm -hmm. that's important mm -hmm. yeah it's really interesting to be living an experience where I feel the synchronicities of everything that I've learned and everything that I've been through to be able to complement and to be a skill on on this life path and hooray. Hooray. <laughs> Mike, thank you so much for coming on to the podcast and sharing your story with us and offering so much insight into the plants and to um, intentions behind these ceremonies and giving my audience and everyone that listens to this a much clearer, better idea of how to use ceremonies like this, because I haven't had a conversation around this on the show, like this at least, um, this in depth. So thank you for coming on and sharing with us. You're such a beautiful person. Thank you so much for having me. It's an honor. I'm really grateful that you took the time to talk to me and have me on your podcast. Everyone, if you want to get the links to the show, like I said, you can head to maddiemoon.com forward slash Mike dash Johnson. His email will be there. All of his links will be there. Any links that we mentioned in this podcast will be up on the show notes. You can subscribe to Mind Body Musings on iTunes, Stitcher, Spotify, iHeartRadio. Leave us a comment on my Instagram at Madeline Moon to let us know what you thought about this yummy episode with Mike. And feel free to send us any questions or reach out to him if you want to have a pre-ceremony 
session or post-integration session. And we look forward to having another episode on the Mind Body Musings podcast next week. And we will see you then. Brain fog, insomnia, moodiness, weight gain. Maybe you think they're just part of getting older, but Midi Health understands that for women over 40, they can all connect to menopause. It's at the root of dozens of symptoms we experience, not just hot flashes. Midi clinicians are menopause experts offering safe, effective, FDA-approved solutions covered by insurance. 91% of Midi patients get relief from symptoms within just two months. Book your virtual visit today at joinmidi.com.